home, and it's always good to be with our people, and glad to be back in our church. We had a great week last week. We still haven't got the totals yet of how many were saved, but numerous, numerous young people came to know the Lord, and excited about that opportunity. Lord willing, next year we'll be taking two to three groups of our teams up there. Uh, This year was kind of a recon mission. I told the team they were a scout team, a young team that we took up there this year. We'd never never gone before. New place, new missionary, and just had a great time with the Vosses. Pray for them as they're up there in a very tough area. Uh, been a missionary of ours a long time. I asked Brother Voss, I said, Brother Voss, how long have you been a missionary uh, supported through Central? And he says, well, he says, Brother Williams first took me on when we were at the old location. And so that was quite a few years ago. And they've been serving faithfully out west, doing a great job. And when we got ready to go out there, he told me, he said, this is a tough area. And uh, most areas are tough, but Indian reservations can be a little extra tough. And I've been to several, preached at several, uh, and always found them difficult. But undoubtedly, this was one of the most difficult areas we've ever gone to. Uh, A lot of very open rejection, a lot of open persecution. Our kids got a little taste of that, those that were up there this past week. But uh, it's been a good week. We're thankful to to have the opportunity and uh, thankful for looking for the opportunity of camp this week. Pray for our young people. Uh, They'll be leaving out tomorrow morning headed to camp, and you pray for each and every one of them that God would really work during that time down there. Uh, When mom and dad built that simple place down there, the goal was just to build a place you could shut the world out for a week and let our young people kind of have a spiritual greenhouse to go in there, hear God's word preach, and have a positive peer pressure to do just what the Lord was willing in their life, and a lot of good decisions made down there. So you pray for them, pray for the speaker, and uh, I was thinking maybe even next Sunday night, Brother John, I haven't even read this by you yet, but maybe even next Sunday night, we're going to show some slides from the trip to Montana. Uh, we can have some testimonies from our young people from uh, youth conference maybe, uh, from the trip to Montana, and maybe even from camp decisions that have been made and kind of give the whole service to them next week and uh, maybe even get some of our guys to preach, right? Amen. Might just get to do that. Boy, you should see the look on their face. Uh, no, we won't get you to do that, but just share some testimony of what God has been doing already in the summer. And I appreciate all of you, Brother John particularly, Miss Stacy, who works so hard with our kids. It's a lot of work. I assure you, it's a lot of work, and I appreciate the investment they're making in them. Third John, chapter 1, all right? Not chapter 2. Third John, chapter 1. If you're in chapter 2, uh, I don't know where you're at, all right? Third John, chapter 1, look down to verse number 1, and uh, let's just read a little bit together. <clears throat> the Bible says, The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health even as thy soul prospereth. For I re- rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Let's stop there and pray together. Lord, I do thank you for a good day. And Lord, it's good to be home. It's good to be, Lord, in our church amongst our people. Thank you for the great spirit that we have, the wonderful singing. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity and the privilege tonight to open your word again. And I pray that, Lord, you'd speak to hearts far beyond what I can do. 
And Father, I just pray tonight, Lord, that you would just burden hearts, draw hearts to you, that Father, we would be obedient to your will and allow it to change us, Lord, in these last days that we're living. Father, I pray that we would be obedient, Lord, that would be so much that would be seen in our lives lived out, Lord, Monday through Saturday. And even as today, Lord, as we look at our fathers and we try to be an encouragement to our fathers, I pray that, Father, you would give us a special burden to lead in that respect. Bless, Lord, your word tonight. I pray your will be done for it's in Jesus' name. Amen. I was thinking this afternoon that if I really had to summarize one of the greatest privileges of being a dad, uh, it would probably be summed up in the fact of not just having a child, uh, but having the opportunity to be an influence on our children. Uh, you know, tonight if we went around the room and we had a testimony time, and uh, from time to time we'll do that, and we had a time of testimony about our fathers and our father figures, I think tonight what we would all hear from each other is the influence that they have been on us and that they have made uh, on our life because so much of who we are and what we do uh, and even the habits that we have are a direct result of the influence of the fathers and the father figures in our life. As a matter of fact, I was thinking this afternoon about my shoes that I went and got. When I was a kid, my dad used to tell me about his tennis shoes that he had when he was a kid. And uh, he called them PF Flyers. Anybody remember those? PF Flyers. And very similar to Converse. Matter of fact, they were owned by the same company up until several years ago when they were forced to sell to uh, New Balance, I believe it was. And my dad described those shoes, and he described them as the Converse. He said, that was the kind of shoes I liked as a kid. I had a pair when I was a kid. And I remember that. I mean, 30-something years ago, I remember my dad telling me that story. And when it came time for me to buy tennis shoes, that's exactly what I wanted to get. And that's why I went and got those Converse. Just the simple influence of my dad as a kid mentioning the shoes that he wore, and I wanted to wear the shoes that my dad wore. The influence of those father figures in our lives, that's one of the greatest opportunities that we have as dads, as moms, as Christians, and that's to be an influence on the lives of others that God puts uh, within the circle of influence of our life. As a matter of fact, Montana, the mission trip we just went on, uh, was something I had never done before 1997. I had never gone out west, never been to an Indian reservation. Got a phone call from uh, Uncle Jerry Fertel and said, look, I want you to be on this team of guys that are going out to, to do Bible schools out west. And we went out, had a wonderful time back in 1997, one of the greatest summers of my life. Uh, and it impacted me so much when I uh, got married. We had kids, uh, kids of our own in our church. I wanted to take young people to have that opportunity as well. As a matter of fact, I have a picture I'll show you. Uh, this was from 1997. Uh, that goofy looking guy on the far left, that is me. And uh, that's when I was 17 years old, the first opportunity I had to go to an Indian reservation, kind of a, a, a country within a country to go on those mission trips. And the guy that you see standing right beside me, that's Doc Peters that uh, went home to be with the Lord, just had a great influence on my life. One of those father figures that had a great influence on my life and that burdened me to, to, to be that influence on the life of other young people, hence the trip we just had here last week. And what a blessing it was. But here's something I think we forget about. Oftentimes as dads, as moms, as, as adults, as leaders, oftentimes we equate authority with influence. And I want you to know tonight, authority is not influence. Authority is something you give just by the title. When my daughter was born, I became a dad and I became the authority over her. But there's a great, great difference tonight between authority and influence. Matter of fact, a lot of our, our, our staff that have come on board since I have been here, uh, one thing I have shared with them, I've shared with them, try to earn the influence uh, before we try to exercise our authority. You know, you might have the authority and you might have the title, but influence has to be earned. 
You have to go out there and you have to mine that out and you have to earn that. And if you'll earn the influence, I promise you'll never have the problem of exercising the authority. Now, here's the beauty of the whole thing. The beauty is when you start to see your influence show up in the lives of other people. There's nothing like that. To see that God has used you and your life and your testimony or the opportunity that you had to impart wisdom to someone else. The beauty is when you see God use you and your life, whether you're a father, a mother, even a teenager, that God uses your life to be an influence. And that's what we see in 3 John. We don't have a whole lot of details here of exactly when John and Gaius' relationship uh, began to cultivate and grow. But one thing that is very obvious when you read 3 John is the fact that John had a great influence on the life of Gaius. Now, folks, I don't know who you are tonight. Listen, I don't know who you have influence tonight in your life. But I understand this about each and every one of us. We should desire to influence all those that God has placed within our sphere of influence. Oftentimes, we overlook the people that God has placed within our life, and God has placed us as that light. You know what light does? Salt and light are both influences. Whatever you apply them to, it influences them for the better. I mean, have you ever eaten food without any salt? Oh, my soul. Thank God for salt. It's, look, it's made a whole lot of meals a whole lot better. What did it do? It influenced it. What does light do? Light is an influence. Now, we're, we're speaking today to fathers, but understand this. Each and every one of us have influence, and we've got to make sure we're capitalizing on that. Now, tonight what we're going to see is the end product of a faithful influence. We're going to see what happens. This morning we look forward and how we should be that influence uh, to lead people to life uh, and living life well and living life full. But when we read 3 John, we see an influence that's already taken place. And I pray tonight that as we look at the influence John had on the life of Gaius, I pray that we'll desire to have that same influence as well. By the way, it's not just for dads. What did Paul tell Timothy about our young people? Be thou an example. Talking to a young man. Let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example. Each and every one of us have the opportunity to be an influence. And tonight what I want to show you is the fruit of a faithful influence. Being an influence is not easy, I assure you of that. Being an influence is hard. The reason being an influence is not easy is because you have to be faithful yourself. If you want to influence someone else to be faithful, you're going to have to be faithful yourself. But I want to show you tonight why it's so worth it, if we could. Let's look at three things under the fruit of a faithful influence. Notice, if you will, look down to verse number three. The Bible says, For I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in truth. Now notice John is rejoicing about something. What is he rejoicing about? He's rejoicing about the fruit in the life of someone that God has allowed him to influence. Now folks, can I tell you, that's something you ought to be willing to work for tonight. You ought to be willing to work to the place where your life has influenced the life of others to the extent that you can see the fruit showing up. Now notice what it says. I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walkest in truth. The brethren had reported to John. Now, I want you to think about this tonight. John is in exile. Think about John tonight. Here he is, not in the best of circumstances, and the brethren have come to him, and the brethren have testified of the truth that is in him, that is in Gaius. Notice number one. What we're going to see is the fruit of a faithful influence is a testimony. Notice the testimony of truth. It says that the truth that is in thee as thou walkest in truth. I can imagine what an encouragement that was to John. 
to hear that someone that he had had influence in his life was continuing on in the truth and not just believing the truth. Notice the last part of verse 3, that he walks in truth. Now, I'll tell you, as a youth pastor years ago, what a blessing it was when you saw a young person leave the youth group and go on out into the world and live for God after they left the youth group. I can't tell you the blessing that meant to me, the blessing to see them continue on in truth, people that God had allowed you to have influence on. Now, folks, understand this tonight. It's hard work to be the influence God's called us to be, but what a blessing it is when you see God use your life to influence someone else's life to maintain truth of the Word of God. I'll give you an example of that. Uh, This past week, we were there uh, in uh, St. Ignatius, Montana. That's our new word, Ignatius. We use it for everything. It's just a really neat word to say. I think it was a Catholic priest. I'm not sure, but it's a really neat word to say anyway. And uh, the man that was there was putting up a teepee, no joke, a real teepee. And I thought to myself, guys, why don't we get out there and help this guy build a teepee? How often do you get to build one? I mean, all of us men want to, but we're too mature to. And here's a great opportunity to get to do it. And so we went out there, this guy's putting up this teepee, had the poles put up, and we're putting the canvas around it. And I says, all right, look, we're on an Indian reservation, building a teepee with a Native American, and he was a chief, wasn't he, Brother Michael? He was a chief. He was a fire chief, but he was a chief all the same, all right? It makes a neat story. It makes a neat story, all right? We're on an Indian reservation, building a teepee with a Native American who is a chief. I'm not lying, okay? So when I tell the story like that, that is true. He was, chief, he was a fire chief, but he was a chief. We got the teepee up, and he says, hey, would you guys like to sleep in this one night? And I was really hoping the boys were going to jump up and say, yeah, yeah, because that's the way I was feeling on the inside, but I was feeling too adultish to say it. And the boys were like, yeah. I'm like, all right, all right. I'll sleep in here with you one night. And uh, man, we're just excited about this experience we're about to have. So we go in that teepee, Brother John. He put a little carpet in it for us, okay? So it wasn't entirely authentic, but it had a little carpet in there. And we're so excited about this opportunity to sleep in a teepee on an Indian reservation. How often do you get a chance to do that? And so we get in there, and Brother Joseph's over here. Uh, Brother Walker's up here. Nehemiah's over here. Brother Braden's over here. And I'm sleeping in the middle in case I decided to sneak out. Just kind of guarding the door. We lay down about 11.30, 12 o'clock. It doesn't get dark till 11 o'clock up there. It gets daylight at 5 a.m. The sun doesn't go across the sky. It makes a quick U-turn and goes behind the mountain. I'm not kidding. It's daylight a long time. Ask the guys. It's a long time. You don't get a whole lot of sleep there. And so we laid down there, and the guys are there. And about 30 minutes after we dozed off, Brother Nehemiah started having a fight with someone. Where's he at? Brother Nehemiah, he started having a fight with someone in his sleep. I'm not kidding. I'm laying there trying to sleep, and all of a sudden I hear, give it up already. I look around. Joseph was awake. I says, who was that? He said, Nehemiah. I said, Nehemiah, are you okay? He didn't say a word. He's asleep. Nehemiah goes, brother AJ. I mean, he was growling. For two hours, Nehemiah had a fight with some invisible unknown person that we do not, still not know who it is. Matter of fact, someone else came and stayed in the teepee the, the, the next night, and Nehemiah says, you ought to tell them somebody haunts there that, that he was fighting with, an invisible man he was fighting with. Into that two hours, Brother Walker decided that he wanted to cough up a lung. It was 40 degrees, 40 degrees. And Walker starts coughing. I honestly think, he said, I got something stuck in my throat. I said, yeah, I think it's a kidney or something. He was <coughs> for two hours. Joseph's trying to play nurse, give him cough drops. We were feeding cough drops. Look, Brother Joseph was being more kind than I was. I was grabbing that pillow and I was just thinking about it. You know, I could, I could, anyway, 
Braden's just laying over there freezing. I think he was too scared to move. You got this guy over here fighting somebody you can't see. This kid's hollering like, he's, like he was smoking for 40 years. <laughs> Joseph's trying to play doctor. Braden's just scared to death laying there in the cold. It was freezing, freezing. I had a hoodie on under a blanket, and I'm laying there thinking, whose idea was this? It was a rough night with these guys. But can I tell you, it's the roughest night I've had trying to work with young people and encourage young people. Brother John, I'll tell you the same thing. Oh, how it's worth it when you see the testimony of truth lived out in their life. One of these guys makes it. I don't know how many times I've grilled them. Brother John just came back from youth conference. He's about to go to youth camp. Uh, I mean, I'm telling you, he's going to be wore out. But all of a sudden, if one of these guys and one of these girls make it, all of a sudden, all of the work and all of the toil becomes worth it. Why? Because you see somebody going on having a testimony of truth. Now, what are we getting at here tonight? Look, we're not just talking to our dads. Dads, you have an influence. I hope you know that by now. You have an influence. But all, all of the hard work that you put in to be the influence, you need to be put the work in to be a faithful dad, to have a personal testimony of truth in your life. And I promise you, it will pay off in the life of your children. It'll pay off in the lives of all those that are within your influence when you see them go on to have a testimony of truth of their own. I promise you tonight, it's going to be worth it. Now, why is truth so important? Well, look down. The Bible says, For I great, rejoice greatly when they brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. Stop. How did they know it was in him? You can't see truth in someone. You can't x-ray someone and say, Oh, like their ribs. Well, there's the truth. No, keep reading. It said, Even as thou walkest in truth. He didn't just believe it and have it in his head. He was walking and living out the truth. Now, why is it so important that we invest to have a personal testimony of truth so that we can influence others to have the same thing? John 17, 17, the Bible says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Do you know what sanctification is? Sanctification is basically separation, okay? Sanctification, separation, very similar. Separation is when you pull away and pull back from things you do not need to be around, all right? Things that spiritually contaminate us. The Bible says, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. Now watch this. If a young person or anybody within our sphere of influence has a testimony of truth and we give them the truth, they're going to know what they need to stay separated from in the world. Can I ask you something? What's that worth to you tonight? One day you're not going to be here as a parent. One day you're not going to be here to say, hey, don't do this. Don't go there. Hang around them. Don't hang around them. Wouldn't it be wonderful if there was something that we could put into our young people that would help guide them? Yes, there is. It's called the truth of the word of God. And if we can impart to them a testimony of truth, they will have what they need to know what to stay separated from. You know, uh, we jokingly uh, talk sometimes, pastors and I, uh, there used to be this race among preachers who could have the longest list of things they didn't do. Well, I don't eat bazooka bubblegum. You know, I don't eat Pringles. And they find some good reason why they didn't eat bazooka bowl. Look, there's some things you shouldn't do, all right? Uh, but it, it got crazy out of hand there for a little while. Everybody's trying to find uh, some way or something else that they could do, not do, that somebody else wouldn't do. But the easiest thing you could do for your young person is to give them truth. Why? Because the truth will help sanctify or separate them from what they do not need to do and where they do not need to go. But watch this. They're not going to have a testimony of truth if you don't. 
Obviously, John had a testimony of truth. Why? Because Gaius had a testimony of truth, and John influenced Gaius to have that in his own life, and what a blessing it was to John. What did he say? For I rejoice greatly. Look at verse 4. For the Bible says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. I think I agree with that. I only have one child. One day when I'm old and gray, I probably won't be gray because there won't be none left, but one day when I'm old and bald, sitting there in the nice, wonderful retirement community that she's paying for, to hear that she walks in truth. I look, it's okay if she doesn't ever make a lot of money and if she doesn't have an Academy Award, but to hear that my kid walks in truth, that's enough for me. That's enough for me. Why? Because truth is going to help her be sanctified if she has the truth. What does the Bible go on to say, John 16, 13? The Bible says the Spirit will guide them in what? All truth. So watch this. Watch this. The truth sanctifies us or separates us, but the truth also guides us in truth. So the truth tells us what we stay away from, and the truth will also guide us to what we need to be guided toward. You see how important it is to have an influence of truth? And if we want our kids to have that, we're going to have to have it for ourselves. Truth is a lot like north on a compass. We were in uh, Yellowstone, and evidently our government has not installed Wi-Fi yet or cell phone towers or any telegraph wires in Yellowstone, and we could not find where we were going. I mean, there is zero bars, all right? There's more drinking bars than cell phone bars in Yellowstone, I assure you of that. No bars. And we're driving, what was it, midnight? We're driving through the mountains trying to figure out where we should go. There's sheer cliffs over here. And man, I want to tell you, it got kind of frustrating not being able to figure out which direction we were going. Finally, we got a little bit of coverage. You know, the phone starts connecting and the compass straightens up and you find north and we're able to get ourselves out of there. Why? Because we found north. Truth is the Christian's north. And if we can part to our young people and those that God has placed within our influence what truth is, can I tell you something? That'll be worth every ounce of agony that it took to put that in them. That's why it says the truth was in him and it was lived out in him. When I was in Bible college, Joey Harris was one of uh, my professors. And uh, he was telling us one day, kind of giving a, just a synopsis on John 1.14 where the Bible says the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And he said he heard one time that basically what Christ was was what God wanted to say to us in flesh. The word was made flesh. The Bible says it dwelt among us. What's interesting is you go on to read John 14.6, you know what the Bible says. He says, Jesus says, I am the way and I am the truth. Jesus says, I am the truth. Now understand this tonight. The word was what God wanted to say to us. It was truth, and that's what guided us, that Jesus was in the flesh, and now we have the written, preserved word of God. And if our young people have that, they're going to find the direction they need in life. But number one, we're going to have to have that that testimony of truth ourselves. Number two, look down real quickly. The Bible says, Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. So the first fruit we saw was a testimony of truth, but now notice a consistency in his service. Beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. You know, I wrote this down in my notes tonight. I think those six words would be wonderful if it was ever put on any of our tombstone. Thou doest faithfully whatever thou doest. Well, that would work for me. Thou doest faithfully 
whatsoever thou doest. You see, the goal is not to just influence people to know something. The goal wasn't just for John to influence Gaius to know the truth. No, it's now he's carrying out the truth or he's doing the truth. Can I tell you, there's a problem within Christian circles today of we relish and we joy in knowing the truth, but we fall short of doing the truth. Matter of fact, wasn't that the problem in 1 John? Turn back, uh, 1 John, look at chapter 1. Yeah. And this is love that we walk, a second, I'm sorry, back up to 1 John, chapter 1, verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Notice the truth is not just something to know. The truth is something to do. And here's Gaius. Watch this. He's living out the truth faithfully. He's not just knowing it. He's doing it. Imagine the impact that John made on his life. Now, folks, each and every one of us should desire to have an influence over those, not just our own children, but people that God has allowed to be in our life, that they not just know the truth, but they see it in us to the extent that they start living out the truth themselves. We ought to be, as each and every one of us, ought to be illustrations of the truth. Every one of us. You ever met somebody that just embodied joy? You ever met somebody? I've met a lot of people who didn't. But every once in a while, you meet somebody who just embodies joy. Matter of fact, glad to have Miss Mary tonight back with us, been in the hospital. I went to visit her several times in the hospital, and uh, I couldn't get her to complain. I tried. I really did. Now, Miss Elder, you may have heard her complain, but I tried to get her to complain. We're sitting up there. I said, how's the food? It's wonderful. I said, what? Hospital food's not supposed to be wonderful, she says. Whatever they bring, I eat it, and I like it. I said, well, how are the nurses? They are so nice. I said, nobody's being mean to you up here. No, I, I tried to be the devil's advocate and get her to complain, and she never would complain. She just embodied contentment. She was just happy. Folks, you know every one of us ought to embody truth so much that our life is an illustration of it. That we live what we believe so faithfully that our life is nothing less than an illustration of truth. That should be our desire. I want to be the truth illustrated. I want my daughter not to just hear the truth from dad at the pulpit. I want my daughter to see the truth lived out when dad's sitting on the couch. Friday, we were sitting at Glacier National Park, and the government came up with this wonderful scheme of how to get traffic in and out of there. If you show up at 5 o'clock, you get in, no questions asked, because there's a long line to get in. Well, mom and dad always taught us to be a little bit early, and so I showed up five minutes early. Because I was early, they would not allow me to go in, and they looped me around to a holding parking lot and made me sit there for 30 minutes, 30 minutes. 30 minutes with 13 other people in the van, eight of them teenagers. There's a smell, I'm just telling you. Air conditioning wasn't working right. I'm sitting there and the park ranger's over there. He kept holding us up, holding us up, holding us up. I said, I thought we were supposed to get in at five. He says, well, uh, because you got here early, we're letting all the people who got here at five in first. I burn off a few extra hairs sitting right there. So I decided, oh, this is horrible. Oh, this is horrible. I might get fired for telling you this. I'm sitting there in the van, and I rolled my window down and talked loudly to my wife so the park ranger could hear me. It's not his fault, and I knew it was not his fault. But I was so frustrated as I sat there. I said to my wife, I was really talking to him, but I was talking to my wife. Only the government would come up with something so dumb that you show up five minutes early and you get penalized for it, 30 minutes I'm just talking so I know he can hear me. He's standing right there. He had the big hat on that really gathered the sound. He could hear me talking to my wife as I was talking to him. 
I said, this is ridiculous. Somebody ought to know something. And he's listening, listening. I think it actually hurt us. That's why we sat there 30 minutes. He heard me. And oh, as we start going up the mountain, that pesky Holy Spirit begins convicting me, convicting me. He had a whole car full. I don't know that all of them heard that. I don't know if all of you guys heard that, but boy, I was frustrated. Do you know what I wasn't doing? I wasn't doing the truth. Do I believe the truth? Yeah, but I wasn't doing the truth. Folks, can I tell you, if you want to influence someone, be consistent in your service. So how do you know that John influenced Gaius to be consistent in his service? Because Gaius is being consistent in his service. What does it say? It says here, beloved, thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers. So number one, the backside of this whole matter of being an influence is the fact that we can have a consistency in our service for those that God's allow us to influence. And finally, look down, if you will. Look down, if you will, to verse number six. The Bible says, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forward on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Keep reading verse 7. The Bible says, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Now, here's what's amazing. Where did the influence start? It started with John. John influenced Gaius. But now notice what Gaius is doing. He says that you have not only influenced brethren, but you've influenced strangers. It says because that for his name's sake, they went forth. Number three, the last fruit of a faithful influence is notice the obligation to others. The obligation to others. Gaius, I believe, was motivated to influence the people that God had placed within his sphere of influence because the influence John had been to him. We were at Bible Club on, Friday, on Thursday, and I posted this on Facebook. I'll show you a picture next Sunday night. And given the invitation, several young people come to trust Christ. And I gave one of the young men, his name was Tickles, no joke. His name was Tickles, wasn't it, Brother Michael? Cute little kid, funny little kid. I gave him my wordless book, and I says, here, you can have it. I was in the driver's seat, and I gave him a wordless book. He's sitting on his bicycle, and he holds up the wordless book, and he says, I will take this and share the story with others. I mean, my eyes watered up. My heart broke. Thinking, Here's this little kid. He just got influenced, and now he wants to go be an influence. What an awesome, awesome fruit. What an awesome fruit to see when someone influences you and you influence someone else and they go to influence someone else themselves. We see Gaius is obligated to others. Now, he's following the example that he got from John. I assure you, whatever work you have to work to be an influence to someone is worth it when you see that someone go and influence someone else. Matter of fact, turn with me right quick to Philippians 2. I'll show you this and I'm going to be done. Philippians chapter number 2 and look down to about verse 25. I believe. Here's another Gaius. Philippians 2.25, the Bible says, Yet I supposed it necessary to send you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor, fellow soldier, but your messenger and he that ministered to my wants, for he longed after you all, was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick. 
Watch verse 27. For indeed he was sick, nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I sent him therefore the more carefully that when ye see him again, you may rejoice, and that I may be less sorrowful. Look down at verse 30. Because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Epaphroditus was another Gaius. He didn't regard his life. He says, you know what? Even though he was sick and nigh unto death, for the work of Christ, the Bible says, he supplied their lack of service. Even though he was sick, he says, I want to be an influence. Even though he had gotten to the place where maybe he didn't feel like it, he said, I want to be an influence. And he put in the work to supply their lack of service. Now, folks, it's work. It's work. You ask Brother John, going to camp and all those chaperoning camp next week. It's work to be an influence. But when you see those that God has allowed you to influence go on with an obligation to others, oh, what a blessing all of the work was, and you forget about it. Why? Because you see someone else influencing someone else. Now, listen to me, dads, and I'm going to close. What a great opportunity you have, dads, to influence your children to have a testimony of truth. That when they leave your home, they've got something in them that guides them. But in order for them to have a testimony of truth, you've got to have a testimony of truth. The second thing, you have an opportunity to influence them to have a consistency in their service. Wouldn't it be a blessing, mom and dad, to see your kids still serving God after they get out of your home? Faithfully serving God, raising their children in church. I thought it was such a blessing. Uh, back in the late 90s, early 2000s, Miss Deborah Kanati went with us uh, on a mission trip to Montana. And then now her son was going on a mission trip to Montana. Nehemiah went with us. Uh, even though he had a weird fight with someone in a teepee, it was a blessing to have him there. Second generation. Second generation. She influenced her son. Now her son went and influenced other people. Folks, you could have that. You can have that fruit of consistency of service, but you're going to have to have a consistency in your service. It's going to be hard for your kids to have it if you don't have it. And what a blessing it would be one day to see our children having an obligation to others where they didn't regard their own life. They've laid their own life down to go and serve others all because they saw you lay your life down to be an influence to them. What a blessing it would be if God turned out some faithful influences for the cause of Christ in our next generation because our current generation decided they were going to be an influence to them. Heads are bowed tonight.